communication is a lubrication. So if there's something going on with sex, whether it's like the way that you initiate um, the unresolved conflict, even if it's you personally just having body image issues, like talk about these things because that's true intimacy. Intimacy is not rubbing your skin together. It's in to me see. So let your partner see inside of you and share your interior world. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 491 with guest Whitney Miller. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. If you missed it, big announcement last week, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit is being re-released because it's been updated. I'm so happy to have had the opportunity to do this. As I've mentioned, some big things have happened since I wrote it in 2016. It came out in 2018. But over the last half decade, yeah, a lot of things have happened. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back and update it. I would add this. I would add this. This is so important to mention. And voila, here we are. Coming up on December 27th, it's going to ship. And there are bonuses that go with this new revised updated version. Same cover, same fun confetti but it's a yellow cover instead of a white one. So if you have never read the book or listened to it on audio, now's a perfect chance because it's been updated. And if you have, I do think it's worth getting another copy to grab these updates. Every single chapter has updates and it's easy to understand the updates because they're not woven in. It's at the very end of the chapter. I'm like, okay, whole new perspective or (laughs) brand new tools. Here are some new tips for you. It's it's fairly obvious where the revisions slash updates are. So the bonuses, uh, there's a secret podcast series. There is a workbook that goes along with the book. We're doing a giveaway. We're doing a sharing giveaway where I'm uh, giving away a one-on-one session with me. My favorite candles from Zabora Scents and Malicious Women Company notebooks, just head on over to andreaowen.com slash HTSFLS. As always, that link will be in the show notes and everything will be there. I so appreciate your support with this book that has been has been on quite the journey, been translated into 19 languages and available in 23 countries. I'm still amazed at that fact. And I just appreciate you so much. All right. Today's guest I have been following her on the social medias, the socials. Is that what they call it? The socials? And I love her posts. uh, So informative about intimacy, about relationships, about sex mostly. And we get into the nitty gritty. I really think that you're going to love this conversation. I ask some pretty... uh, important questions <laughs> as you will as you will hear and let me tell you a little bit about our guest today in case you do not know her 
Whitney Miller is a sex educator and pleasure coach with a focus on maximizing female pleasure through self-work and relational communication. She combines her yoga philosophy background with her knowledge of sexual health and relationship science to help people attain their pleasure goals. So without further ado, here is Whitney. (laughs) Whitney, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You were, uh, I'll confess now that we've, uh, we started recording that you were one of the people when I, I, I asked my team to reach out to you, I was like, oh my God, I hope she says yes. <laughs> I was excited to come be a part of it. Oh, I'm so glad that, um, that you're also excited to be here because I've watched your, your social media, you know, just your little kind of quickie, the ABCs, the one, two, threes, if you will, about intimacy and and sex and so many different topics that you cover. And I love that it's research-based and I'm just really glad to have you here as we delve a little bit further into women's health. And as I was telling you before, before we started recording, I do think in 2023, I'm going to specifically have a sex theme. So I would love to have you come back on. We're going to have a part two. I already know it. Let's start with, uh, you know, I I am going to kind of bounce around a little bit because there's so many different things that I want to ask you, but in the work that you've done and the research that you've done, what is, what do you see as the biggest reason why heterosexual couples stop having sex in their long-term relationships? Okay. So the biggest thing that I see is resentment, unspoken conversations, like both people are just hanging on to something in an effort to manage the other person's emotions. But what happens is they don't, it's usually one or the other doesn't want to have sex with the other person because they're like, I'm mad at you, but I'm not Mm. talking about why I'm mad at you because I don't want you to be mad at me. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Never tried to manage someone else's emotions by holding back a conversation. I will say before, before you go any further, all kidding aside, one of the best marriage counselors that we've ever had, and it's actually still the person that we see, is the one who um, gently encouraged us, and it was not easy, to have the conversations that we both were afraid, too afraid to have. Absolutely. It was intense and it was uncomfortable, but it was the best thing ever for our relationship. Like, how did it feel afterwards? Like I was going to throw up. There were several (laughs) sessions. One time I asked him, um, I might actually have him on. I asked him, has anyone ever thrown up in your office? And he said, no, but I have had people storm out because these are such uncomfortable conversations. And I'm like, I don't get that. Luckily, neither me or my husband stormed out and nobody threw up, but I sure wanted to. So anyway, please continue. Gosh, I mean, I just had one of these conversations with my partner last weekend. Uh, She's talking about my phone addiction. She's like, Oh, you know, you're, you're on your phone too much. Cause I work on my phone and I took accountability for that. And it was uncomfortable and I cried and disappointed in myself. But after that conversation, I, I don't think I've ever felt that close to someone. Cause she looked at me in my weak, ugly places and was like, I still love you. And I think you can do better. So are you saying part of the remedy of that is for the, to have the uncomfortable conversation and then for the person to take responsibility and accountability for their behavior or actions. Yeah, absolutely. You know, cause there's that opportunity to nourish the connection between you by being accountable for the things that, that are, you know, your responsibility. Obviously you don't want to start managing each other's emotions, but be accountable for the space that you take up in the relationship. Can you be more specific about some of the topics that, like you said, that they're one person's mad at the other person for something, or, you know, there's something unspoken. What are, what are some of the specifics that you hear? 
just yesterday, I had a client who was talking about feeling unseen in the relationship. And that seems to be a theme that comes up a lot. Like I feel unseen. I feel unheard. I Mm -hmm. tell my partner, Hey, you know, when you leave your socks in the floor, it makes me feel like you don't appreciate the work that I do do in the house. Mm -hmm. And like the socks keep getting left in the floor, you know, and there's just this like life happens. And sometimes our relationships, they get put in the back seat as life is happening, but at some point they need to very prioritize. So if your partner's coming to you and saying, Hey, this thing right here, it hurts my feelings when you do it. Like that needs to be addressed. It's not something that needs to be pushed to the side and then expecting someone to have sex with you when you don't address those things or make them feel unheard is like, it's just a natural thing for someone yeah. not to want to have sex with you when you make them feel invisible. Yeah. I was watching one of your TikTok videos and you were talking about, which I, I want to get to, you were talking about arousal and you said something like, this isn't, this advice isn't going to work. If you're having issues in your relationship, you might've even said that like where you're, you were yes. feeling unseen or cause learning how to become more aroused or arouse your partner is not mm-hmm. the remedy for that. Those are two separate issues. It sounds like. Absolutely. Well, it's going to block the arousal from even getting started if there's unresolved conflict. So if you know that there's conflict in the relationship that's been unresolved, you're not going to fix it by having sex. Like some people think you do that. Oh, we'll just, you know, we'll have, we'll sex the problem away. And it's like, absolutely, you will not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like it's not an either or, it's a both problem. Like both things need to be discussed and practiced. And at the end of the day, communication is lubrication. And mm-hmm. you I should love that. Call. You need to sell merch with that on it. <laughs> it's not mine. It belongs to Dr. <laughs> Kelly Casperson. <Okay. laughs> absolutely. But yeah, absolutely. Communication is a lubrication. So if there's there's something going on with sex, whether it's like the way that you initiate um, the unresolved conflict, even if it's you personally just having body image issues, like talk about these things because that's true intimacy. Intimacy is not rubbing your skin together. It's into me see. So let your partner see inside of you and share your interior world. Got it. Okay. Where would, I mean, obviously you and I would probably both recommend some kind of counseling for couples that are experiencing intimacy issues, but let's say Mm -hmm. someone even wants to broach a topic about either their sex life or the socks on the floor and they're nervous to have the conversation where do you have like a, like a kind of script that you give your clients or I guess a jumping off point. Do you mean like mediating between couples or having a hard time communicating to each other? Yeah. Like maybe like one partner feels like they want to have this conversation. And like you said, they're feeling resentful and Mm -hmm. they are nervous to have it because they don't know how the other person is going to react. So they just let it slide for months and months or years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause it, it makes our self-worth come up when we talk about things that matter to us, you know, that mm-hmm. feeling. Cause we want so, to be validated. Yeah, absolutely. We want somebody to give us permission to feel what we're feeling, but it's not coming. Um, I do have couples that I meet with, like I do one-on-ones, but I also do like mediation between couples helping with relational communication. It's hard to have a script though, because mm-hmm. everybody's so individual. Yeah. And like the subjective experience, I really honor that. So having a script, I would have to feel the environment and see what's going on between the couples before I was like, okay, well, this is what he's saying. And this Mm -hmm. is what he's feeling. Do you see that? And this is what she's saying. And this is what she's feeling. Do you see that? And that's how that would go. The thing I tell people too is try to find 
a therapist or counselor who, who, you know, is going to really hear both of you. Cause I think what happens and especially I, I would guess in heterosexual relationships, the man comes in, walks in thinking like he's going to be ganged up on and like, no, like, this is like, Oh, I can't wait to go somewhere where like this professional and my partner are going to tell me all the things I'm doing wrong. Absolutely. Of course I wouldn't want to go. <laughs> no, of course not. That, that's my thing. I like to take a non-judgmental, shame-free stance and allow everybody just to be themselves, but then find out what the goal is between the partners and then find where the goal meets for both of them. So like they may have different goals, but showing where that aligns for them. But I mean, a big deal there is, is that like your general therapists are going to have nine hours or less of sex education. So if the issue is intimacy, you really want to find a counselor, a coach, a therapist who is, is sex specific. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. It was months before we even talked about sex, to be honest with you. (laughs) This is, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that you bring that up because, um, did you feel like that that was a good start to start with the other stuff first. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like why I, why I picked him, you know, I obviously like I I gave all these options to my husband and I'm like, okay, here's the people. What do you think about these people? And I'm like, okay, here's what I like about this person's bio and that person's bio. I was the one who I knew I needed to go in and talk about my sex stuff. Like, I didn't even know if my husband was like, (laughs) I don't, I didn't think that he, and he, he was definitely that was not one of his priorities. I was the one that brought in the sex stuff because um, just anecdotally, I he is the first person I've been with. I got sober just a couple of years into our relationship and we are parents. So he's the first long-term partner I've had where I have been a mother and I've been mm-hmm. a sober person. And so it kind of flipped me upside down and I'm like, uh, I don't know who I am sexually as this new identity. And then the years go on and then, and just anyway, I mm-hmm. it was all my stuff. It was all my stuff. And so I told him that, and I'm like, this is why I think we should see this person because he has a PhD and he's an actual sex therapist. But I thought cool. it was interesting how we didn't even talk about sex for so long because it was other stuff. And to be honest, I wasn't ready. I really have to trust that other person. Yes the therapist before I can start like revealing my deepest, darkest sexual secrets. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's such a vulnerable place. Um, That's the role that I take with a lot of my clients. They'll come and they'll think because I'm a sex, a pleasure coach. They're like, Oh, we're going to talk about sex. And usually not. We're going to talk about your relationship with your mom, your day-to-day activities, like all of these little pieces come together and dictate whether or not you feel comfortable interacting with sex. Mm Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. I, I would attest to that as a, as a client. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling low energy and sluggish and coffee just wasn't giving me what I needed. Especially in these winter months, I struggle with pep in my step. And since drinking AG1, I felt more energized and focused. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. Because aging is a part of life that we all have to deal with, but I don't think it should prevent me from doing the things I love, like going on long hikes with my dog. 
dog. I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long-term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a long-term partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com noise. That's drinkag1.com noise. Check it out. What if in 2024 you got a little bit better every day? I mean, that's what this show is all about, right? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you can do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscribers sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Their courses are so convenient and have helped me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's so easy to learn how to order food. That's where I get the most excited to use it at Mexican restaurants or ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation, etc. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash noise. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash noise, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash noise. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, let's, I want to shift gears slightly. And can you tell us what are the top, I don't know, like one to three reasons why women specifically lose their sexual desire? And is there anything that women, it's kind of a whopper of a question. Is there anything that women can do to increase that? Yeah. So there's, um, gosh, there's about like top three reasons that women lose sexual desire. Number one being pain with sex. Obviously, if you're feeling pain, you're not going to have a desire for it. Um, humans are dopamine seekers. So if you're not getting pleasure dopamine from it, you're not going to want to desire it. That's very natural. Number two would be, um, unresolved conflict like we talked about. And number three is boredom. Like if the sex is boring and routine, again, you're not going to have desire for it. It's like, if you like ice cream, do you like it melted? If it doesn't matter how much you like ice cream, you're probably not going to desire melted ice cream. So mm-hmm. If sex is like pizza every night, like it's just centered around penetration only and it's never like shaking it up, being curious, trying something new, or maybe you don't like your partner's initiation style, you'll naturally lose desire for it. Nothing's broken. Nothing's wrong with you. That's a conversation that needs to be had. One of the things that was tricky for me was that, and this took a lot of unpacking like over years and I didn't realize why I was having such a hard time because I have no problem telling people what I want. 
I okay. just have always been that way. I'm very outspoken. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I'm an Aries. Just, I, just no problem. And that, but oh, you're fiery. Okay, I'm fiery. <laughs> but I was noticing that was happening with intimacy, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this isn't really who I am. And I did a timeline, kind of an inventory as my, it was a previous therapist called it of all of the partners that I'd ever had. And she was like, you know, kind of walk me through, you know, do it on your own first, like journal about like, what was the experience like? And so this was a pattern. Like I was, I am not as like outspoken (laughs) as I thought I was. This is interesting. So what it boiled down to for me was the socialization and programming that I had received, you know, growing up in a a fairly, a fairly conservative Lutheran <laughs> family. And that's what it really came down to. And then just years of just not talking about it, just complacency and, and all that good stuff. So I'm assuming that's a pretty typical. So you would say that like shame and like kind of purity culture had kind of. Yeah. Spiked. Had seeped in. And I think because like, here I am as a different identity, as a mother, that also added an extra layer because previously it wasn't, it wasn't as bad with like previous Mm -hmm. partners when I wasn't a mom, when like, all I had to really worry about was myself. Yes. It was a different experience. So you feel like becoming a mother also put like some dampening on that? Yeah. Just like, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the insecurity and the voice of like, Mm, is that really like how mothers should behave? And which is, so Oh weird. no, you took your mother hat with you into sexy yes. time. I have a nine-year-old son. So like, okay. I totally understand, like I, I breastfed for three and a half years. So I nursed like, my second for two and a half years. So yes. Like it's, yeah. it's a huge thing. And they don't tell you when you're leaving the hospital, Hey, if you're breastfeeding, your dopamine levels are going to be low. Your prolactin is going to be high. You're going to have a low desire for sex naturally. The thing about prolactin is it's it takes the place of dopamine in your body. So as soon as prolactin comes in, the dopamine leaves. They can't be in the same place at the same time. So it lowers those levels. And if you have lower levels of dopamine, you naturally will have lower desire for sex, try new things, leave the house. Like that d- dopamine is what helps us want to push into things. Interesting. I wish they would tell mothers that when they leave the hospital, because they go home thinking that they're broken after they have these children. And like, I used to want sex, you know, and, and there's just no side note. Hey, if you're nursing, you just naturally won't want to. Right. Which can cause like resentment issues with their partner. If their partner wants to, and they're being rejected. Absolutely. The high desire partner always wants to fix the low desire partner. The low desire partner is always made to seem like they're broken and and they're not, they're not. And I hate that. We'll talk more about that. Cause I'm sure there's people listening who are feeling that way, whose ears are perking up right now. And, and what do you just have, have the floor, have at it. What do you like to, to tell those people? Sure. Like the first thing that I, I like to address about low desire is that low desire is not a description for your comparison to your partner. Like if you have a partner who has a higher rate of desire than you, you are not a low desire by proxy. Low desire is a description for someone who used to have more desire and now they're experiencing less mm-hmm. and they are bothered by that. And not bothered by it because their partner is heckling them for more sex, but they genuinely would like to be having sex more and they want to know what's underneath that. So that's where low desire comes in. It's a comparison of a person's own timeline of desire for sex. Okay. Thank you for specifying that and giving a little bit more of a description. So where should people start? Should they first go and get their hormones checked? Should they 
read a book or, or what is your best advice? If you're a woman, the hormone part is the least. It's like the last thing I would check. And okay. I know people are like, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? The thing about sex is, yes, it is biological. Sure, sex is biological, but sex is way more psychological and sociocultural. Mm-hmm. Just like speaking to what you were talking about earlier with the purity culture, the shame, pressing on your desire to have sex. Those things are usually what the issue is way more so than, oh, you've got low testosterone, you've got low estrogen, you, you know, your progesterone, these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I say about like, as far as hormones, the one that's probably going to mess with it the most is your dopamine levels. And you can work with that through exercise, getting into green spaces, trying new things. You don't have to go in and like take medication. This is not addressing people who are going through perimenopause and menopause though, because yeah. that is a situation where, yes, I would absolutely go talk to your, 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 like your doctor about starting on HRT. I'm a huge, huge fan of like estradiol cream and things like mm-hmm. that, making sure that sex isn't painful, making sure that you're not white knuckling it through vaginal dryness and stuff in an effort to please your partner. Your best sex years are like age 54 and up. Really? Oh my gosh. So there's a whole book about this. It's called Magnificent Sex, Lessons from Extraordinary Lovers. And it's a book, it's a research study by Dr. Peggy Kleinplatz and Dr. Dana Menard. It's beautiful. I think I've heard of, I think I've heard of the first author. Oh gosh. Dr. Peggy Kleinplatz is an amazing like sexologist. She's, she's amazing. Isn't she kind of a legend in the, in that field in your industry? She is. She is. I've emailed her and she never emails me back. That's how big she is. But I'm like, I'm going to keep trying because I'm trying so hard. But um, she says the average age for people having the most satisfying sex of their lives is age 54. In her study, it was like people age 62 to 83 having mind-blowing sex. Wow. Yes. Do you so go think- get the HRT if you need it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've had some other experts on and, and we'll put out some, some more um, that are coming out soon where we talk about this HRT and every expert I've talked to is is a fan of it, depending mm-hmm. on the person, of course. But- I, why else do, is it? I'm sure it, some, it has to do with the fact that you get to a certain age. I just recorded a, a solo podcast episode where I was talking about, cause I'm, I'm 47 now and I, you know, I've, I'm past the age where I really care a lot about what other people think, but then I see yes. people ahead of me who are like in the women in their fifties who have truly embraced aging and truly don't care. Like they're just doing whatever yes. they want. And I'm like, no one's really talking about this in-between space. Like this, <laughs> this bridge, like I'm on, I feel like I'm on the bridge and I can see, like I'm further down the river than where I was before, but I'm, what I make up is that they are at that place, like where they just really, mm-hmm. like they have let go of the shame. They yes are able to, to talk about what they want without feeling like their throat clenching up and their throat chakras on fire. Like, is that Mm -hmm. some of it or a lot of it? You absolutely nailed it right there. And you said, you feel like you're getting close to that. I don't give a fuck about what you think. Yeah. Like I am, I feel like, especially like when I'm in my fifties that I'm going to reach it, but I'm still Mm -hmm. a little bit in that like kind of liminal space of like, uh, (laughs) well, I'm 37 and I'm there. I'm like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) I I think I'm way ahead of a lot of people for, you know, for other ways of like setting boundaries Mm -hmm. and like having other hard conversations and being able to emotionally regulate that I have got down. You're doing so great. You're right on the right path, but exactly. 
what you said is the, I don't give a shit what you think. Like they have dropped those insecurities that they're at this place in their life where if you're rubbing their left labia instead of their clit, they're going to take your hand yeah, and put it right on there and be like, yeah. this, this is where I want you to be. I think for so many years, many of us, many, and when I say us, I mean, especially heterosexual women who were raised in this patriarchal culture who are, I think also of a certain age, I think millennial and, and Gen X women and probably baby boomer women who were, who were taught either implicitly or explicitly that sex is a performance for our male partner. Oh, duty sex. Is that what you guys always I fucking hate <laughs> checklist duty sex. It's terrible. And it's never it going to cultivate desire. You're, you're never going to be like, I want some more of that. Like, yeah, I don't do that anymore, but I certainly have been. We've all done it. I've, I've yeah. been there. We've all done it. Like you're not a bad person. If you've done it, you're just in there with the sociocultural norms mm-hmm. of like the patriarchal society, women 40 plus, they're like, fuck that shit. And I hope to be a voice that is like getting down to the 20 year olds and being like, Hey, fuck that shit. You know, (laughs) fucking do that. Like it's terrible. No one is entitled to sex. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No one is entitled to sex. It's another reason why I tell couples to stop leaning on spontaneity so much. Oh, I want sex to happen spontaneously with no effort and no prioritization. I'm like, do do you feel owed? (laughs) You feel like someone just owes you sex? Like, damn. Then that brings me to, I want to move into talking about arousal you know, cause you talk about spontaneous arousal versus responsive arousal. So can you kind of give us the, the ABCs of that? So it's desire. It's like spontaneous desire and responsive desire. And the difference between arousal and desire is arousal is the physical response in your body and desire okay. is the mental want. And Got sometimes okay. those things don't click. They don't match up. It's especially hard for women because women, we have a lower rate of interoception, which is knowledge about what's going on inside of our body. You know, maybe it's because we feel like prey all day that we kind of live in our head and we don't really acknowledge what's going on in our body. But for whatever reason, men are statistically more body aware than women are. So they need time to get into their body. Women need more time. Yes. Okay. Yes. A little more time for the mind and body to sink. But spontaneous desire is you're just sitting around and you just think about sex and that's enough. You want to do it. That's typically how men experience. Yes. Men are statistically, they experience spontaneous desire more often than women do. Okay. There's a higher percentage of women who experience responsive desire and that's desire, the mental want showing up after they feel arousal. So they need to, they want to feel arousal in their body first or not so much they want to, it's just their experience of it. They feel arousal in their body first and then they're like, oh yeah, I want to have sex. And when I talk about this, men will be like, okay, well, let me just go over and grab your boobs and get that started. And I'm like, that's a terrible approach. <laughs> Don't do that. That will make a woman feel a sense of obligation and shut her arousal. Well, off. she's pulling a casserole out of the oven. Yeah. Oh my God. It's terrible. It's terrible. Because again, like I was saying, women are not connected to their body throughout the day. A large percentage of women are not. So when you go over and you just grab her, it's just, they feel obligated and they feel objectified. So they never get to the arousal and desire part. Instead, you want to invite them into their body first and then initiate sex. So you can do that with lighting candles, sexy music, compliments, you know, sensual massage. Like there are ways to approach this where it's like, 
it's an invitation to do you feel like getting in the mood instead mm-hmm. of asking are you in the mood customers are rushing to your store do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real pos you need shopify for retail Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash noise to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash noise. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. There was a Netflix, was it on Netflix or Hulu? It was probably Netflix, um, a special, and I cannot remember the name of it. Netflix has been doing a pretty good job, I think, of showing some different- They've been doing great. Sex documentaries and docu-series. This particular one had different couples, and I'll find it and put it in the show notes. And there was there was an expert that they had on there, and I cannot remember her name, but she called it something like, what's your sex archetype or something like that. And she had a quiz on her website where she- Ah, That's Jaya. She's the somatic sexologist doing the erotic blueprint. Yes. Yes. The erotic blueprint. That's what it was called. And, and it, and it's like four different types and they, you don't even need to go to the site because they, she talks about them in depth in there. And then there was couples who Mm -hmm. they sort of profiled couples who had different ones. And it was so fascinating. And the reason I bring it up is because I love that she showed different ways people are aroused, all different ways. (laughs) All different ways. All different ways. I love the erotic blueprint quiz because it shows how the specific people react to arousal or how they get to arousal. So it's like, if you find out your partner's erotic blueprint, then you have just found out how to flood your partner with arousal. It's It's like the sexual owner's manual. 
it is, is, is gorgeous. It was so interesting. And so are people typically one or the other with the erotic blueprint or the no, desire? with the, with how their arousal works, the spontaneous oh. or the response? Oh yeah. Oh, so here's the really crazy thing about that is like a lot of couples, when they first start dating, they'll both be experiencing spontaneous desire. Cause you know, you're high on dopamine. Yeah. You're high on each other. Mm-hmm. A couple of years down the road, both or one of you could switch to responsive desire. And that can actually fluctuate from day to day. You know, I feel spontaneous on Tuesday the rest of the week I felt responsive. It's not fixed state Mm -hmm. and it can very much depend on the context. Like if you have a deep, vulnerable conversation with your partner and they receive you warmly and you look at them and are flooded with dopamine because they remind you of pleasure, you could be feeling spontaneous desire off of that. Got it. Okay. When you said it sometimes on a Tuesday, especially as I've gotten a little bit older, I feel spontaneous uh, when I'm ovulating. Oh yeah. If I'm on my period, I'm feral. It's hmm. weird. I'm like, there's no opportunity for pregnancy here at all. What is my body doing? But then I read about how you can feel easier access to arousal because there's no um, fear of an unwanted pregnancy. That that's how much like context can lean on you. Like if you think you might get pregnant by accident, that can actually shut your arousal off. Oh yeah. Okay. What are some ways that couples can add more spice and make sex more playful? So I'm, I'm assuming there's kind of like some preliminary groundwork that needs to get out of the way. Like you're like, this is for couples that are not, that are not having unresolved conflict. <laughs> yeah. Like if you think your partner's a dick, it's like, you got to get that out of the way first. If you, yeah, it's, this isn't like a sex will save you type of question. Right. So I love to instruct clients to invite playfulness and banter into their relationship. And that could be for some people like playing Twister. That's always a a good time, you know, with or without clothes on. That's up to you. I love getting couples to read erotica to each other Mm -hmm. because that can be like silly at first. Like, you know, laugh about it. Oh, this is so silly. And then all of a sudden your cheeks are flushed and you're like, oh, I didn't know that about myself. You know, taking a walk with each other, having a picnic in the living room. I love to like make crab legs and just eat them in the living room with my partner. That's always fun. But anytime that you're going to invite like lightness, playful banter, laughter, Mm -hmm. it's much easier to just ease that into a sexy good time afterwards. It takes the pressure off, takes a sense of obligation off. We're just being here and it invites you to be present. So presence is like the best way to optimize sex. Like that's (laughs) the only way that sex gets great is if you're present for it. Yes, that's true. I'm I'm the only I'm laughing because I'm thinking of something that happened fairly recently with my Oh husband. no. No, Do you it's, want to it's, share? it's <laughs> funny. It it really points to exactly what you were saying. Of many of us end of the day we want to take our bra off. Those that us that still yes. sometimes wear bras and, and I, I do sometimes. And, and I kind of mentioned it just offhandedly in the kitchen. And I'm like, Oh, I need to go and take my bra off. And my husband made a comment like, do you need help with that? And I was like, mm-hmm. are you sure you want to see this nude colored <laughs> full coverage bra? You know, so Absolutely. I'm, I'm, <laughs> we both have a great sense of humor, but that I think is an oh example of that. Like I'm still inviting him in. But yes. also warning him, like this, these are not the lace underwire bras of the beginning <laughs> right. of our relationship. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it because and that's he knows life. that. Like he's yes. not be surprised when he sees it, but it just adds adds some some levity to the situation. 
Absolutely. I love it. No, laughter is a beautiful lubrication. That I had never really thought of that. I love that. One more question. Uh, how does breath work impact sexual pleasure? Because this is something I've <laughs> never, I've done breath work, but it was not, it was separate from, from sex and intimacy. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I love this one. Every day I wake up with comments in my, on my TikTok of people being like, my orgasm is stronger. It's longer. I can't believe this. A lot of times what we'll do, I don't know why we all know to do this, but it's something that we get into practicing and it hurts. We'll be masturbating or having sex with our partner and we'll clench up our whole body and hold our breath and try to force an orgasm through our body. Have you ever experienced that? I don't know. Probably. I don't, I don't think I've like actually, you know, zoned in on the moment, but probably. So you don't know if you've ever like held your breath to try to come? I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that the next time it happens. Yeah. All right. Okay. Think on that. So here's what happens. Um, If you're either breathing very fast or holding your breath, you have your parasympathetic nervous system and you have your sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system puts you into fight, flight, freeze, And your parasympathetic nervous system is for rest and digest. Mm -hmm. If you go too much into either one of these sides, it is not conducive for a, like a strong, fabulous orgasm. And it makes it really hard to have multiple orgasms. So if you're like, (laughs) you know, breathing really fast, then that puts your body into fight or flight. It can also make you like lightheaded and it can make the orgasm either like disappear, fizzle out or be like, meh. So like parasympathetic nervous system is like long, long exhales and like puts you into relaxation. So if you've done breath work, you've probably experienced being in your parasympathetic nervous system where you feel your shoulders drop away from your ears. You feel Mm -hmm. totally relaxed. When you just breathe normally, like you're breathing right now as we're talking or try to, as you're having sex, you can actually dance between these two nervous systems. And that's called relaxed arousal. And what this does is is it gives you optimal blood flow to your pelvis. And that increased blood flow increases your sensation. And if you have increased sensation, you can also like build up more arousal. And the more arousal we build up, the more release we can have when there's an orgasm. And I've noticed through practicing this, it can be hard to remember not to hold your breath. So as the orgasm is coming, I'll say something like, wow, you know, and saying, wow, keeps that keeps me breathing instead of trying to hold my breath. And what that'll do is it kind of extends the orgasm, makes it last longer. And then if you'll like use indirect stimulation for people who get hypersensitive after the orgasm, you can actually build to the next one much Mm. easier. So it's a practice. It's not a perfect, it's not a light switch. And at first you'll be like conflicted about breathing because people tell me it's hard for me to concentrate on breathing and doing the same time. And that decreases arousal because you're all like, am I breathing? Am I not? And I don't want to like make it more confusing, but just try to breathe normally or tell your partner that you're practicing that so they can get in your ear and whisper like, breathe, baby. Yeah. Which yeah. is hot. That's so fascinating. I've never put that together before, but I, I did say that that was my last question, but I do have one more question because you made mm-hmm. me, talking about orgasms, you made me think of something that I wanted to beautiful to ask because it was one of those Netflix documentaries where... And I think Emily Nagoski was was talking about it where they just recently in the 90s, I think, finally did some research on the, the female clitoris. Yes. And so it it seems that, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because for years they talked about the G spot that was like inside of the, mm-hmm. the vagina, like on the on the kind of the upper side. And 
as it turns out, is it correct that that is actually the other side of the clitoris? Oh my gosh, there's so much speculation going on right now because actually there's been a study that was released that talking about how women have a prostate. Oh. Oh, it's it's mind blowing. So you know how like men have a prostate and it's shaped like a walnut. Okay. Okay. And you can stimulate a man's prostate through like anal penetration. And some men are on board with this, some are not, but it's a very strong orgasm stimulating the prostate through anal penetration. So that G-spot area is your urethral sponge. It feels different Mm -hmm. inside of the vagina. It's a very spongy area, especially in a very aroused state, it will get engorged. But right on the other side of that urethral sponge is actually where the female prostate is. It wraps around the urethra there. And it looks like from the studies that I've been looking at, that that is what's being stimulated when you're stimulating the G spot and the A spot, which is your anterior fornix. That's just a little further up behind the G spot, but in the same area, as far as pressing up toward the navel when you're inside doing vaginal penetration. So in an aroused state with blood flow increased into that area, it looks like that that the prostate is what is being stimulated. So the same as a man experiencing increased stimulation, increased pleasure from stimulating a prostate, it looks like it's the same for women, which makes sense because the clitoris is the homologue to the, you know, penis mm-hmm. and everybody has a prostate. So stimulating one's prostate increases pleasure. Fascinating. I, I didn't know that there was like still research going on about it. And it's exciting. <laughs> Because I've had, you know, quote unquote, vaginal orgasms before and they feel Uh different. Absolutely. Absolutely. They feel different. It feels like an entire body sort of like waves and it's a slower to build and they're longer Um, with clitoral orgasms. They're sharper and they're faster. Um, Almost. It feels like almost like a slap in the face. (laughs) They do. They do feel like a slap in the face. And what's crazy is like, I need that clitoral, like external clitoral Uh orgasm. First, and then it's so much easier for me to get those vaginally penetrative orgasms yeah. after that. I've never noticed if that's the case with me, but but they mm-hmm. they are different. All of it is fascinating to me because it's definitely not my area of expertise. Only you know anecdotally in my own experience. <laughs> Thank you so much. And then where do you want people to go if they want to learn more about you to, to grab your stuff? Absolutely. If you would like to just check me out, get to know me, you want to come to my TikTok, and that's B D E Moves. M-O-V-E-S, all one word. By the way, is that an acronym? Yeah, it stands for Big Dick Energy Moves. Got it. Why did I not get that from the beginning? (laughs) Like if you care about female sexuality, that is great big dick energy. So you can check me out. If you like what I'm doing over there and you want more in depth, please use the link that's in my bio there to come to my Patreon, which is also underneath BDE Moves. And that's where you'll find all of my uncensored content. And it's just $15 a month. Well, and I just want to like quickly read through the playlist that you have on TikTok. You have you mm-hmm. have videos on struggling to orgasm, different desires, BDSM, initiating, stress cycles, boudoir, so many different things, belly breathing, even attachment theory, which we've talked about here on the show, people that struggle with low desire, pleasure-based even strappy, strappy sandals, I think is what you'd call it. Absolutely. <laughs> so you have you to talk in code. Yes. You don't have a guideline violation on, on TikTok. 
so many different and, and much more even explicit than we have talked about here. But mm-hmm. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for saying yes. I will continue to, to tell people about you and your work. And it's so, so important. And everyone, thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful for your time. It's incredibly valuable. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, did you know there's free secret podcast episodes waiting for you that are not part of my regular podcast feed? Yes. AndreaOwen.com slash free. And you just sign up. You get a link sent to you. It's very secret. It's like a secret club. We don't have a secret handshake. Don't worry about that. But it's these motivating podcast episodes that I made for you. They're under 20 minutes each. There's three of them. They're for wherever you are in your life. So head on over there and grab them. They range from really supporting you and seeing you where you are and being compassionate all the way to giving you a giant kick in your ass and telling you how amazing and gorgeous and phenomenal you are. So andreaowen.com slash free and get your hands on that free podcast feed. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. 